Delighted to have joining us today, Ms. Tamika Williamson. She's a best-selling author, trainer, speaker, and coach, specializing in helping students prepare for college. Welcome to the show, Tamika. Thank you, Nicole. Now, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do? I've been following you for some time. I know that we've connected even through Diamond in the Rough, and you've come out and you've spoken with our girls within our program. But can you share with our listeners more about your work and uh, some of the great things that you're doing with young people? Yes, I would love to. One of the things that I do with young people and with families that you service as you are helping them prepare to be leaders here in this 21st century, I work with them hand-in-hand to help the students get noticed, get admitted, and get funded for college. That's just putting it plainly. We uh, work together in terms of looking at strategies, how to position themselves so that colleges notice them, colleges will admit them, and colleges will fund them. And that takes work. So I work with families and students to help them map out what their work looks like. Now, I'm just curious, statistically speaking, are more students going to college now or are less students enrolling in college? More students are going to college, but the sad part is as that number has increased, we we have more students graduating with debt. So preparation is the key, and that's where you come into play, helping individuals and families prepare for college so that they don't have to take on a lot of debt. Is that the case? That that is That is the case. My goal is to help as many students as possible get to college without student loans. Student loan debt in our country has surpassed consumer debt, and you know consumer debt is high, and that is just, a bad place to be. Our average students are graduating with about $25,000 worth of debt. But I've spoken to to adults who have come through school and they're sitting on $80,000 worth of debt, $60,000 worth of debt, and you're like, oh, my gosh. And it's, it's a burden. It's like you're in bondage because they can't make big decisions like purchasing a house. They have to be mindful when they purchase a car because they have this huge debt that is constantly evading their space. And, you know, most of our kids, depending on what they majored in, when they graduate from college, they're not making that kind of money. Right. Now, what what's one of the major mistakes you see with the students and families that you work with when it comes to college preparation? Is it that they wait too long? Is it just that they're overwhelmed? What, are you seeing maybe trends or things that are going on that a lot of families are facing when it comes to preparing for college? 
I would say there's there are two top reasons or two top things that I see. One is they wait too late. Uh, majority of the people I talk to, they uh, their kids are juniors or seniors in high school. Most times they're seniors. So at that point, it's really too late. And the other reason is they don't have a plan. No, they, don't, they haven't begun the discussion of college. They have no idea where to start. They don't know what they're supposed to do, and they definitely don't know how they're going to pay for it. So it's truly a situation of the lack of knowledge. Our people perish. Mm-hmm. Our folks are perishing because of the lack of knowledge. And it's not that the information isn't out there. We're in an age where you could just go online. My favorite phrase when people ask me questions, did you Google it? <laughs> Everything's on Google. I do my mom like that. And it drives her crazy, but it's we have to teach people how to research, how to think, how to problem solve, especially our young folks. Right. And because that's what corporate America is crying about. They lack those skills. And one thing that I'm seeing, and I think that is very unfortunate with this particular generation, I know much like you, I know you were the first in your family to actually go to college. And for many young people who are listening, they too may be the first in their families, the first-generation college student. And because they're the first generation and their parents, though they're supportive of them, sometimes the parents are overwhelmed. Sometimes the parents don't know where to start. And kids are looking to their parents, and because of that, things fall through the cracks. So when you talk about utilizing resources, I mean, we are living in a technological age where whether they're in middle school, high school, there's resources right at their fingertips. There are counselors. There are people around who can provide them with the knowledge and the tools that they need to succeed. So let me ask this because you talked about people waiting too late, a lot of people who come to you being in their 11th and 12th grade year. Can you share with our listeners why middle school matters? That is an excellent question. Uh, because people do not connect the dots. Middle school matters is is because it's it's like you're uh, getting ready for a track meet. And, you know, the runners, they're getting positioned. And if they don't come off the blocks correctly, nine times out of ten, they are not going to win the race because everyone else started strongly and they're trying to catch up. Middle school is that critical moment where you're transitioning from one level to the to the next, but that is it's important because the the transition dictates how you start high school as well as how you finish high school. And what I mean by that is we have to start having a conversation in middle school with our kids as well as the counselors at the high school our kids are going to go to in terms of what type of courses uh, will that child be enrolled in. We have to make sure our kids are enrolled and they are ready and properly equipped to enroll in AP, IB, honors, because those are the type of courses that really help students get noticed, get admitted, and get funded. So if the child is not prepared, then they're not going to be able to take those challenging courses so by them taking challenging courses in middle school and building the rigor, the discipline of study, the discipline of doing uh, extra work 
and operating in a more challenging environment, it's going to allow the transition in high school to be a lot smoother so that they can graduate with a rigorous course load that will allow colleges to have a level of confidence that this student is ready, that this student is college ready. So the, the course load is that that critical mass is what I'll call it. That is going to be critical when it comes to graduation time. Say so we can't just sit back and allow our kids to pick the classes. The parents must get informed and know what are colleges looking for. Their decisions, part of the decision-making process is they're looking at the transcript. They, they're not really, uh, they're not selling for GPA and class rank. They're looking at transcript. What type of courses have this student taken? That's really important. You, you used an interesting term. You said college ready. And um, at Diamond in the Rough, we have partnered with various colleges here in the metro Atlanta area. And I remember speaking to one of the professors uh, that we have a relationship with, and over lunch he was saying that he's seeing a trend in the enrollment. He's, he he teaches a lot of freshman students, and he's, he was talking about how a lot of the students that are coming into this particular college he works at are, are though they have the grades, yes, they've graduated, yes, they've been accepted, they're having to take remedial courses. They're mm-hmm. not college ready as a as a student would have been perhaps in the past. And when you taught when you said picking the right courses, the rigor, I mean all of those things matter. Yes, you might be accepted to a college, but are you going to be in college longer? Are you going to have to take and pay for classes that had you, you know, done it right in high school that you wouldn't had to have taken. I mean, there are, there's a lot of things to think about that I don't think people do think about. You know, it, you do have to have a plan and you have to work your plan. Can I add something to that? Yes, ma'am. Uh, because the reality is this. the um, I'm glad you brought that up. Kids going to college and having to take remedial courses, that has been on the rise for the past uh, probably five-plus years. That number continues to grow. About one in four students, yeah, about one in four uh, freshmen who enroll in college requires remedial course. And the world of remedial courses has changed as a result of that. The government is pulling back the money that they are spending on remedial courses because it's costing the government billions of dollars, not millions, but billions. So the trend that um, has started to take place is, your major universities, like your UGA, your Georgia State, a lot of these major schools, they will no longer, They have most of them have already ended their remedial courses, and those who still remain, it's, it's on the way out. So if you have to take remedial courses, you won't even be allowed to go to these major schools. You will have to go to a community college in order to access remedial classes. And then when you start looking at the statistics of remedial classes, students who have to take remedial courses they end up having to take remedial courses for the first one to two years. So that's the first two years, one to two years, you're not getting college credit. You're taking classes so you can qualify to go to, go to college. And the statistics of those students dropping out is a lot higher. Most of the students who go have to take remedial courses do not graduate. 
Wow. So that is a major problem. And the other side, especially for our Georgia uh, residents, that people don't know, uh, some, somewhere we were sleeping when they were making these changes about the um, HOPE scholarship. Mm. One of the qualifiers for the HOPE scholarship is there's a, a qualifier in there that students have to enroll in AP or IB courses, and they have to complete so many courses in order to qualify for the HOPE scholarship depending on the year that they graduate. And it's a progressive model. The number of courses increase each year. Wow. And you talk about sleeping because I know that there are a lot of families in Georgia that are dependent on that HOPE scholarship, and there's mm-hmm. nothing more heartbreaking than like you said, for them to get in the 12th grade, for them to be right in their last semester of of high school and to wake up and see, I don't meet the qualifications. I, Oh, yeah, there's nothing more heartbreaking yeah. than that. So it does call for people to be diligent and to research and to, to do their part, to ask the questions and to follow it because what hope, the requirements of hope even five years ago Ten years ago is is way different than it is today, mm-hmm. and so um, let me ask this: Can you speak about SAT and ACT testing and how important they are in the process? SAT and ACT testing is one of those requirements from majority of the schools you can't get around. Now there are a segment of schools who consider the ACT and ACT differently than most schools. They allow students to present their total or what I call a 360-degree view of who they are, and they base base their admissions off of that. So they're not heavily making their decisions off the test scores. So there are some schools that, you know, if your test scores aren't that high, you can – apply to those schools, but keep in mind those schools are going to be competitive and you will have to be a lot stronger in other areas. But I always tell people it's kind of like when we talk about professional development and even on the employment side, why would you give people any room to disqualify you? You have to remove any potential obstacle that that you have some level of control over. And SAT, SAT is one of those areas we have control over. The problem is we oftentimes don't see the value in preparing for that test. Oh, it's just another one of those standard tests, another one of those, another technique that's used to make it more difficult for students to get into college. That may be true, but it's part of the process. You have to play the game. So we have to teach our kids how to play the game, how to function in this world, and that is we're going to always have tests. You got to take a test to get into undergraduate. You got to take a test to get into grad school. Some of these companies, you have to take a test to even get a job. Mm-hmm. It's a part of life. So why not prepare for it? Right. So we have to learn how to consider these college preparation, uh, well, consider the college preparation component as an investment. It's not a cost, it's an investment because if you do it correctly, and you do your due diligence and put in the work, it will pay off. It will pay off royally 300 times, if if not more. So we can't get around it. We just have to start preparing for it. Right. And going back to all of the resources that are available, I mean, there are books, there are classes, there's webinars, there's, you know, resources through the schools. There, There's 
there are things all around. So no longer can it be that money is a factor. I mean, you know, definitely if you can take classes and if you can um, get started in that process early, that will give you a greater advantage. But there is really no excuse. And I know a lot of people say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a good test taker. And that may be the case, but that's even more the reason why you have to prepare and tap into the resources that are available. You you mentioned a, some colleges taking a 360-degree look. And for students who may not be strong academically in, in some core classes, can you talk about some of the other things that are important? I mean, in Diamond in the Rough, from the little bitty girls as young as four all the way up to high school, we require community service because we believe that part of being a leader is being a servant. However, some people, even when it comes to community service, don't take advantage of opportunities. Can you talk about building a resume that shows you as a well-rounded student? Why is that important? It's very important, um, because colleges are looking for future leaders. They are looking for students who will represent their image, their brand, when they graduate. So in order to do that, they have to be able to demonstrate certain qualities as they're coming out of high school. And, and I tell, it, you think of it as a four-pronged approach. There's four critical areas. You have testing, you have academics, you have community service, you have leadership. Those are four areas you want to make sure you're cultivating because that's what schools are looking for. Some schools look at some areas more than others. It depends on what their mission is, what their um, vision or what their goal, what, what is, what's the history of the university in terms of the things that they do. If, this is a, if it's a community service-driven organization, you know community service has to be your strongest area. If this is an academic uh, organization, then they're they're uh, looking strongly at academics as well as probably leadership. So it's understanding what the makeup of the school is, but you want to have a well-balanced portfolio in all four areas. So we talked about testing. We've talked about academics. Uh, you want it also community service. Community service is good, but I tell people when we uh, look at getting notice, how are you going to stand out? Standing out does not mean you fulfill the community service requirements of your school in order for you to graduate. That's not standing out. That's average. You're doing what everybody else is uh, required to do. Uh, an example, we just had, uh, what, the storm here in Georgia, and the person, they talked about the lady on the Today Show who created the uh, website for people to find resources. So what are you doing to stand out? You know, did you go and help uh, shovel the snow out of your neighbors. I mean, it's something small, but you identified a need and you went and met that need. You took it upon yourself. You became a leader. You ex uh, exemplified leadership characteristics, and you went and met a need. So those are the things you're looking at from a community service standpoint, and that ties into the leadership side. So what are the organizations you are a part of? Are you just a bench member? Or are you a leader in the organization? Are you driving change? Are you making a difference? Are you getting involved? What is the quality of these organizations that you are a part of? They have to make sense. Right. So we can't just join organizations just because we're trying to pad our resume. 
because most of these places are asking, how long have you been part of the resume, uh, been part of the organization? Because they're looking for patterns. Did you wait till your last year to join organizations, or have you always been involved in organizations? Right. So we That's- have to think strategically as we are building out a 360-degree portfolio because it's supposed to be a reflection of who you are as a person. That's what they're trying to understand. Does this person represent us in terms of character, integrity, leadership? Because how they are represented now gives them a glimpse of how you will be once you graduate and you become a contributing citizen to society. And there really is no excuse when it comes to getting involved and building your resume. I mean, yes, there are extracurricular activities and things that cost a lot of money, but there's a lot of things that people can plug into clubs at the local schools, um, in the community, in your churches to build that resume. I was recently informed by our education coordinator, she's, she's a wealth of information and she does a lot of research, um, but she said that some schools are now beginning to accept what's called electronic portfolios. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, something that can potentially be a way that takes us into the future. And, you know, it just makes me think about the importance of organizing these things. Again, going back to middle school, you need to be tracking your service hours in in one central place. You need to be keeping track of your awards, your recognitions, your clubs, because waiting until your senior year or, you know, whenever you're getting ready to apply for college and trying to figure out, okay, how many service hours have I done in this period of time? How many clubs, you know, all of that is, is chaos. And I can't tell you the number of students, even in Diamond in the Rough, who call and say, um, do you all know how many service hours we've done? <laughs> and as I scream, I go, no, dear. But this is their life. It's And, and that's going back to taking ownership. It's your life. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are people to help you. There are people to encourage you. But... It's your life and it's your future, and you've got to do the work. Um, Let me ask in terms of scholarships. I know personally how many families ignore small scholarships as they go in search of the big ones, and it's, it's, it's almost like they're leaving money on the table. I know a lot of local businesses, you know, there are, there are great opportunities to win $500 scholarships. Write an essay about this, you know, maybe a $1,000 scholarship for something. And people don't apply. I mean, just in your local community. And I get it. Everybody wants a big, you know, big bucket (laughs) that can cover all the expenses, but can you talk a little bit about that strategy and why that (laughs) might not be the best thing to do to leave that money on the table? It's just like investing. You want to diversify your portfolio. Some investments are more riskier than others. Same thing with scholarships. I call the uh, local scholarships your low-hanging fruit. And why do we leave money on the table? I don't understand that. You People feel that $500 is not worth writing a, a two-page essay. I've heard it. Wow. It's just a lot. Of, the amount of time that I'm going to put in is not worth it. Okay, so help me understand 
when you get a your book bill come in and it's eight hundred dollars, who's gonna pay for it? Because see, at that time, that five hundred dollars is gonna sound real good. Right. I don't care how much the scholarship, how small it is, to how large it is, it's free money. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you go off go after it? Because the thing is, you are thinking about that fifty thousand dollars scholarship, that forty thousand dollars scholarship, the Gates Millennial Scholarship, which is just limitless. How many more students are thinking the same thing? Because I know, like, for Gates, I believe, I don't know the numbers. Well, they're, they're still going through the process of this year. I had some students who made the semifinalist list uh, last year, and I used to know the numbers. I think probably about 20,000 students or something applied for the scholarship, and they only selected at the end of the day, I think they only awarded about a thousand, somewhere about a thousand or two thousand scholarships, and there was probably about maybe three thousand semifinalists. Wow. So that is a very competitive scholarship. You are talking about competing with students from all over the United States. You're trying to go after the big money, the Burger King, the McDonald's, Ronald McDonald scholarship. Yes, you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So why would you leave? Why would you leave money on the table when? Most a lot of people don't even apply to those credit unions, your insurance company, uh, local organizations. But yes, you may have to write an essay. Well, when you get to college, you're gonna have to write plenty of essays. So get used to it. It's part of life. I, I don't understand that, but that's where I think parents can coach students through the process. They have to partner with them. They have to try to influence some of these decisions and help them see it in a different way. Um, I remember asking some kids, okay, so I I just want to know how many people have $300,000 just sitting under their mattress, (laughs) and nobody raised their hands. Okay, so do you want to have loans when you graduate? First of all, when you you, uh, first go to school as a freshman, you only can get so many loans, so much in loans. You don't get enough to cover the full tuition. Mm -hmm. So I'm just trying to understand how you're going to fill the gap. That $500 look good. Right, and letting them know that you can do the do the work now and you can pay in terms of time. Yeah, you might not be able to sit on the couch and veg out. You might not be able to go everywhere or talk on, on you know, do, send the Instagram pictures or whatever distractions are in front of you. You're going to have to pay now or you can pay later. And pay later can be loans that you'll have years and decades beyond your graduation date of of when you graduate from college. But also, it may call for you to have to work while you're in college instead of really focusing and getting in and out. You may have to, I mean, there's just so many ways that you're going to pay. You're going to pay one way or another. Um, But planning and preparation and putting in the work, rolling up the sleeves, is, is the wise way to do it. As we're coming to a close, can you share any advice with parents who are maybe overwhelmed and just don't know where to start, or maybe they've started in the process, but they don't feel like they're on track? Can you provide any tips or resources on how they can stay the course? One of the things I would say, I mean, just some tips off the top of my head, start early. It's never too early to start planning for college. Even if your child is in elementary school and middle school, there are still things you can do uh, along that process. Start early. 
The other uh, tip is get to know the guidance counselors. Yes, most guidance counselors are overwhelmed. I mean, the ratio 350 students to one uh, guidance counselor is pretty large, but you still want to get to know who they are, build a relationship with them, because the reality is this. When colleges come to the school, if there are scholarships that are available, when they they will send all this information through the guidance counselor office. Mm-hmm. So if the guidance counselor has no clue of who you are and who your child is, then you'll probably more than likely not know about it. So build a relationship with your guidance counselor, but build a relationship with people who can help you get your child to the next level. So if that, those are college professionals, uh, college admissions, college financial aid uh, people, build your network of individuals. And start searching for scholarships now. Don't think you have to wait till your child is in high school. There are different forms of scholarships. They're, they come in the form of, like, competition. You know, maximize the things your child likes to do because those opportunities can lead to money. For example, it, most of our kids love playing video games. Okay, why not get paid to uh, demo games? Maybe build uh, build a video game, participate in video game competitions. There was a child who, uh, in I think it was in Michigan, he did video game competitions. He won so much money, he had enough money to pay off his parents' home. Wow! wow. And he's on. He was only in middle school. That's incredible. So there are many different uh, ways to get money. Science competitions, science fair, especially anything related to STEM. That stuff starts early. They, they don't. They're not doing these competitions later in life. They're offering them early for students to take advantage of it. So you can look for opportunities. Start looking for them now. And then, of course, last but not least, you have to develop a plan. You know, what would that look like? You know, do we have the money? All right, so we don't have the money. What are some things we need to look at? How is um, our child looking from the academic side? How are they looking for the uh, leadership from the leadership side, community service side, as well as from the test uh, preparation side? And not a shameless plug, but in my book, I'm saying not a shameless plug, but I guess it is. My book, I actually outline um, like a timeline. Here are the things you should do during your child's eighth grade year, ninth grade year, tenth grade year, sophomore year, and so forth. So I've laid it out for you, but you can even go online. There are uh, even some colleges are starting to provide more insight and more information, but a lot of places start at high school, they may start at the junior year. And, see, I think that's part of the problem in terms of how we think because there are resources out there and they start at those levels uh, a lot. We have to start having these conversations a lot earlier. And I, I would also add, those. well, first of all, those are great tips, but I would also add getting your child on college campuses Oh, yeah. Doing college tours, just going even to to even not even formal tours. If you if you can't coordinate those, because a lot of those take place during the work week during school time, but taking your if you're going to a family vacation down in Florida, can you hit a couple colleges when you're while you're down there? Because I think exposure is the key. A lot of kids will say, "I want to go to college," but do they do they know what that looks like? There's large colleges, there's small, they're private, you know, and then there's there's public, and there's you know there 
Christian campuses. They're all female campuses, all male campuses. And so I think just getting them out there so they can begin to identify the types of environments that will allow them to thrive and um, and then honing in on those schools, selecting the top five, the you know the top whatever that is that number is schools and beginning to study and like you said making the relationships and visiting and making the calls all of that matters i mean just going to a school you want to have options really at the end of the day you want to have mm-hmm. options you want to be able to select the college of your choice as opposed to having to go to the only school that will allow you to go to the school <laughs> Yes, because that may not be a good option, especially if they don't offer the career field that you're looking to study. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's really important. Well, let me ask you one last question. How can our listeners connect with you? I know that you have um, you you offer coaching. You have courses and and different sessions that you host locally and nationally, and then, of course, you have your book, your best-selling book. And so how can listeners connect with you, purchase your book, or maybe um, set up an appointment so you can help them along this process? Okay, before I share the information, can I share one thing with you all? Mm-hmm. There is, because this is something many um, parents are not aware of, and when you were talking about the uh, portfolio thing, I wanted to make sure I shared this so I don't forget. Because this is, this is new and this is actually, I think, is going to be critical in terms of the trend and the direction that we're moving in. LinkedIn is one of the new ways our young folks can create their own e-portfolio and colleges will be able to seek them out. Most folks think LinkedIn is for adults. Well, it used to be. Until about September of last year, LinkedIn has now opened their uh, enrollment or sign-up requirements. I think you have to be 14 years old to sign up. Get out Everybody's of here. on LinkedIn now. Wow. Organization, scholarship organizations, you have colleges and universities, they're on LinkedIn. So this would be a good way to capture all of your accomplishments your leadership accomplishments, your community service accomplishments. You know, now uh, LinkedIn has stepped up their game. You can upload documents. You can upload videos. Whatever you want students to know about you, you can now create your own LinkedIn profile. You get connected. That's how you can build relationships, and you can increase your network. That is so. awesome. I'm I'm definitely familiar with LinkedIn, but I did not know that they opened it up to, to young people and and for those that are not aware, that is free, F-R-E-E. That's not a software that you have to invest in, and now you would want to become knowledgeable, but it's a, it's free. And so there's really no excuse, no excuse at all. Well, that is a great tip, honey. That is a great tip for me. <laughs> i got to put that yes, one in. I tell, I tell folks now, if you're in the job market and you're looking for a job and you're not on LinkedIn, then you're not looking for a job. And right. I think that is what will eventually happen when it comes to colleges because they are going to go to LinkedIn to see what students have to offer. So along with well, – we didn't get into the social media side, but that's one social media tool that you want to make sure your child is utilizing. 
And before you you share, before we go to that last question I asked, let's just let's just put a pin right here and let's talk about social media because we know that is that's the world that we live in. Can you just touch up on the importance of selecting the social media outlets? that you're involved in carefully and and stress the importance of the information that you put on social media because you know colleges are looking, <laughs> scholarships are looking. They're searching those. And if young people have inappropriate pictures, if they've got even their circle of, you know, the, the people that they associate with, can those things hurt them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a subject we I don't think we talk about enough. But I think that I don't have the conversation around limiting what social media platforms they use because I think it's important for the students to know how the different platforms work because they may get a job. It may be an opportunity for them to, to um, shoot, create some community service projects around that, you know, teaching senior citizens how to utilize social media and connect with their grandkids, stuff like that. So you can you can make it work to your advantage, but you can also um, it's also good to know about it because you may have to use it in your job. I think where the uh, challenge comes in is where we talk to our kids about being responsible yes. in terms of how they utilize those services. So just like you mentioned, one the people you are connected to. Uh, making sure you have the right safety parameters set up on your account that controls how people can tag you on certain pictures, how people can uh, link you to, uh, let's see, events, activities, quotes, et cetera, that doesn't reflect positively on you and who you are. It's all about managing your brand. This is part of your brand. And because we're in a digital age, we can't be afraid of We just have to be responsible with it. So we have to talk to our kids about everything that goes on the Internet stays on the Internet. It's just like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Well, whatever you put on the Internet stays on the Internet. You can delete it all you want. It's there yes. for life. Forever, yes. So when you grow up and have kids, is this something you would want your kids to read about you? Is this something you want your future boss to read about you? Is that a picture you would like the whole world to see? So you have to be mindful about the pictures you take of yourself that you share with others that you allow people to take of you. Some things we can't control because people take pictures sometimes and upload stuff and tag you, but you can control them tagging you, you can control people adding stuff to your uh, to your timeline and linking you to it. So we have to show them how to manage it responsibly because colleges, as they're looking at your application, you could be a solid student with the grades, with the academics, with the uh, leadership, and with community service. But when they go check your social media profile, if that is not consistent with what they see on the application, they will pull your application. There have been students who have lost full scholarship opportunities because of inappropriate pictures, inappropriate phrases they've put on their Facebook pages or their Twitter feed or uh, Instagram. So it will make a di- it makes a difference not only for colleges, but it makes a difference for 
corporations. No doubt. So how can our listeners connect with you and buy that book and get on track? Well, our listeners can connect with me by going to my webpage, myowncollegecoach.com. Uh, very easy to remember. So myowncollegecoach.com, you can go to the website. You can access the book there. You can find information about me. There are resource links that deals with finance, filling out uh, financial aid forms, applying for scholarships, connecting you to scholarship links, et cetera. There's, a, there's just a list of resources there. I have a Facebook group where I post scholarships all the time, and that's, uh, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, uh, facebook.com slash a road to success. So facebook.com forward slash a road to success. If you're looking for scholarships, feel free to like the page. There are scholarships and internships, uh, study abroad opportunities that are posted on there uh, frequently. And, of course, you can always call me if you have questions. I do do uh, personal coaching with families. I have uh, ACT test prep classes that are done virtually. So or if you just have a question, you can call me. Feel free, 678-459-4552. I'm here to help. Again, my goal is to help more kids get to college without any student loan debt. Amen. Well, thank you, Tamika, for being a guest on A Priceless Perspective. And for our listeners, there is hope and there are great resources available to help make your dreams of college a reality. The question is, are you willing to do what it takes to make it happen? Students and parents, please take advantage of the expertise of people like Tamika who are here to help you and walk with you through this process. Don't let this precious time pass you by. Invest the time and money needed to give you a competitive edge. Your future is worth fighting for. I'm Nicole Steele, and that's my Priceless Perspective. Join the conversation. Visit us online at pricelessperspective.com or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. This show has been brought to you in part by Diamond in the Rough Youth Development Program Incorporated and Gen Makers LLC.